Hear the word of the Lord. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. You may be seated. Pray with me. Merciful God in heaven, we give you thanks uh, for your word that you give us to speak to us, your people, who still need to hear from you. Humble our hearts, encourage us, we pray, the power of your spirit working through your word. Amen. And you know, I I remember a time in my late uh, high school days where I was at this Youth revival meeting. I always found myself at these youth revival meetings. I don't know what that was about, but that's okay. And, uh, you know, there was music and lights, and there's probably some smoke uh, happening, and it was, you know, very uh, moving. And, uh, and then at the end, there's a speaker who stood up and kind of talked about the Bible and said, hey, if you, you confess your sins, you know, then Jesus will save you and you can be, be a Christian. And, um, and so, uh, and in that moment, I was like, hey, this seems like something that, uh, that, I, that I want to do. And so I was feeling it. So I went forward and I prayed the prayer. And it's not that I didn't already believe. You know, I'd actually grown up in the church. I'd already been baptized. Um, I'd professed faith. Uh, but I went forward because in that moment, I wasn't sure, do I really believe? Do, do I actually have faith? And, and so I, I went forward and said the, the magic words uh, to be sure that I was, I was in. You know, I was, I was a part of the, the, the saved. And except for, you know, a few years later, what happened? Uh, but I ended up wondering again. I, I prayed again and, until that wore off and the cycle continues, you know. And, and this idea of assurance of, of faith is a difficult topic for the the church, right? You, you, you get saved, you get baptized, and then you get saved again, and you get baptized again, and you get saved again, and you get baptized again. And it's just to be sure, and you never really know, where, where am I at with this? And, you know, I think the lingering question behind our quest for assurance of faith is this, right? Can I actually know that God loves me? Can I know that when I die, I will be with him forever? Can I be sure that I am indeed saved? Or am I destined to always just wonder, uh, like I did in my youth, am I in or am I out? What is my status here? Can I know if this is true? And one of the things John is 
telling us this morning and next Sunday is actually absolutely yes. You can know. You can be assured. You can have assurance. You know, and this is actually one of the reasons why he's writing First John is so that you can have assurance. This is because it isn't based on ourselves or anything we do to earn God's love, but because of the sure foundation that we have and what Christ has accomplished for us, his people. And the issue that John is addressing here is that the false teachers... Right, whom we find him calling the Antichrist in the next chapter, we're troubling the people in the church's sense of, of, of assurance of faith. Right? These Gnostic teachers were teaching that you had to have a special kind of knowledge to be saved. And so the people started to wonder, do I have that special knowledge? Am I in or is my knowledge enough? Is it sufficient to be saved? And, or, or do I need this new thing that, that these guys are talking about? And so John is writing to them. Because he wants them to have assurance. He, he doesn't want you walking around worrying and wondering about this. And he actually says in 1 John 4, 17, that one of the reasons that he's writing is that you might have confidence before the day of judgment. That you may know that you have eternal life. This is why John is writing to this church. Have comfort, my people. You have uh, eternal life. You can have confidence before the day of judgment. John wants us to have assurance in our faith. And I know that this is a very delicate topic for the church because the truth is in any church there's going to be people uh, who don't actually believe and there's going to be these soft-hearted, really sensitive people in the room who always wonder, is this me? Am I the one that's uh, not fully saved? Or there's hard-hearted people that actually need this message because you think you're fine and nothing you do matters. This is a delicate topic for us to wade into this morning. And this is exactly where John is leading us into this topic to bring comfort to the church. He's to give assurance of your standing before God and to do this, he gives us a test. And this test purpose is not to show them that they're on the outside looking in, but, but actually to show them that they're indeed counted among the righteous. And so barring you know, from many others' work, we're going to just ask a few questions of our text this morning as we consider this topic of assurance of faith. And the, the first we're going to ask is this. How do we know that we know God? How do we know that we know God? Look back with me here at verse 3. It says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. <clears throat> we know that we know him, he says, if we keep his commandments. Well, what, is, what does this mean? Well, to know him. Right, the second no in that sentence is speaking of fellowship with him. This is continuing the theme that we've been talking about in the first uh, chapter of First John, John's thoughts on fellowship and communion with God. It's, he's talking about this deep intimacy of being his child. And then the, the first no here, how do we know that we have that deep intimacy, is speaking of assurance. And so he is saying, this is the way that you can have assurance that you indeed are a child, by keeping his commandments, by obeying him. This is so serious that if we say that we know him and don't obey him, we are called liars here. This is what he says here in verse 4. Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So only saying, only in our obedience can we claim to know him, which might cause us to wonder, well, if this is the measure for assurance, for knowing God, then no one knows God. Right, because no one perfectly obeys him. I don't, and I'm sure you don't. Um, so, so what is he? What is happening here? Is he, is he demanding us to be perfect people? 
Well, no, remember what he just said, you know, we just talked about last week. He said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And so, uh, right, it's, it's so clearly he's not saying that we have to be perfect. So what is he saying? Well, John is saying this, that if we embrace this truth, right, the truth of the gospel, if we walk in the light of confessing our sins, of leaning on the precious blood of Christ to save us and not our own works to save us, if we embrace the gospel, our desires will begin to change and we will desire to walk in obedience to Christ. What he's saying is faith in Christ actually produces the fruit of Christ. Not that you walk in perfection, but that you walk in growing maturity. And the inverse of this he's saying is true, that if you have no desires to follow Jesus, to listen to his commandments while professing you know him, uh, this is what makes you a liar. And let me just say, I actually think that is pretty rare for people in the church. Someone that professes Christ uh, has zero desire to listen to him, although it's possible. This is actually rare because there's so many better things to do on a Sunday morning uh, than to come to church and to sweat, you know, your body weight, you know? Um, so I think that is, is rare. The people who I know who struggle with assurance of faith are typically the people who desire to listen to, to Christ the most. And, and so as we're considering this, the next thing you have to ask is this, if the test to know that we know is keeping his commandments, well, what are those commandments that he's speaking of? What are those things that we need to do? If the test is to, to know if we know God comes through obedience to commandments, well, which one? The, the Bible's full of, of commandments. You know, one, one pastor, in speaking of this, points out how easy it is for us to answer uh, this question by picking and choosing some of our, our, our favorite commandments, some of those things that are most important to us, you know, in our own faith, and use them as a litmus test, like, hey, how much do you pray? Do you pray enough? To, if you don't pray enough, then maybe you're not in, or how much do you care for the, the poor, or how much theology uh, do you know? And, and we draw the line at whatever our, our pet virtues are, and when we do this, the problem is that we are the ones that get to determine who's in and who's out. Uh, but this is exactly what the Gnostics were doing in this time, setting up this whole new set of rules saying who's in and who's out. But where does John draw the line for us? What are the commandments that he has in mind? Well, 1 John 3, 23 actually tells us exactly what he's talking about. And he says this in 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. So how do we know? What commandments is he referring to? At the commandment to believe in Jesus and to love one another. This is how we know if we abide in him. So he's saying, do you believe in Jesus? God in the flesh, do you, do you love one another? You know, Paul actually speaks of this very thing in Galatians 5. He says, the circumcision and uncircumcision count for nothing but faith working through love. Faith in Jesus that works itself out in us through loving others. He said, have you come to believe in Jesus and love each other? This is the commandment that he puts before you. He's saying, if you have faith in Christ, it will mature you in love. This is what he says in, in verse 5. But whoever keeps his word, and him truly the love of God is perfected. Right? Whoever keeps the word... Well, who is the word? We know the word is Jesus, the word of life. Whoever obeys the word of life, the, the love of God is perfected in them. And oftentimes when we think of perfect, we mean that that means sinless, like we're going to be perfectly without sin. But that is not uh, what John has in mind here. It's actually speaking of maturity. He's saying walking on the path of light. When we walk on the path of light, you never arrive there. You, know, you never become 
perfect. We're still going to be confessing sins our entire lives until the day that we die. We're we're never going to reach perfection the way we often think of. But here we're called to grow in maturity of faith as Christ and his love is perfected in us as we keep his commandments. Which leads us here to to verse 6. It says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he has walked. Right, this, the assumption is that if the word, if Christ and his love is being perfected in us, it can't help but come out of us. Right, the centerpiece of Christianity is knowing our desperate estate that we are sinners and in need of God's grace so much so that we can't choose him apart from him, choosing us, giving us what Paul calls the gift of faith. And once you've received the free gift of faith, once you've tasted the grace of Christ, you can't help but be transformed by that grace. It's going to do something to you. Right? And you're going to extend that same grace to those around you because you know how much you've been forgiven and maturity is growing into that. And as this is perfected in you, you begin to show the same grace that you have received in Christ to others. So the sign that you've grasped this is that you can't help but love others. And John continued to make his argument, tells us that this idea is nothing new. He did not invent this. You think about the Gnostics, they're there saying, hey, you need this new information. And John's saying, no, this is of old. He says, beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard, right? This, this, this commandment to love, to love Christ, to believe in him and to love others is nothing old. In fact, you know, in the night that Jesus was betrayed in John 13, what does Jesus tell his people when there's his disciples, when they're sitting around the table for the last supper? He says, I, a new commandment I give to you to love each other. And he's saying, even that, that's not new. In fact, this kind of golden rule you find first written in the Bible in Leviticus 19, all the way back in the, in the Old Testament. And more than that, when John talks about the beginning, he's speaking creation language. He's saying love is more ancient than, than the mountains. This is the beginning of all things, more ancient than the old growth forests and the creatures in the deep ocean. Love is the deepest reality of who God is and the creation that he has made. And at the same time, it's, it's the oldest thing. At the same time, it's come in a new way. He says this at, uh, in verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. How interesting John's writing is for us. He said it's, it's, it's old, but no, it's, it's new. So what is he saying? He's saying this. He says that the darkness is, is passing away. The light in Christ is coming to us in a new way. The darkness is passing. The, the true light that is Jesus is shining already. His work has already worked, and he's bringing all creation into the light of this new day when there will be no more darkness, where the works of darkness along with their fruit will be destroyed for forever. He's saying, this is true in you already. You are now, to quote Paul, a new creation. As you have believed that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the Messiah, he is in you, shining, abiding, making you a child of God as he is the Son of God. So how do you know that you know? Through this simple test, do you believe in Jesus and has that borne the fruit of loving your brother and your sister? The test he lays out here, what we find, is not a burden, it isn't this long list of to-dos like, oh, was I nice to the cashier this week? Yep, we're good. Was it, I was nice to, kind to my, my wife and my children. Yep. It's not this long list of checklist of, of to-dos. Otherwise, what do you walk away with this morning? This is long list and you got to be careful to do them or, or you'll be in trouble. 
which would be us trying to save ourselves through actions. But the test that John is laying out for us is consistent with the gospel. He's simply asking, do you believe it? And has this gospel taken hold of you? This will be evidenced by both your belief in it and how your belief in it has begun to transform your life so that you love your brother and sister in Christ. This is what you see here in verse 10. He says this. He says, whoever loves his brother abides in the light. So if you love each other in this room, that's how you show that you're abiding in the light, following the gospel. And in him, there is no cause for stumbling. This is what it looks like to walk in the light as he is in the light. Not, not perfectly, because we're always confessing our sin, because we, to not confess our sin makes him a liar. And he's just simply asking, are you maturing in this truth? He's saying you can't say that you believe in the gospel and not be transformed by it. It will absolutely do something to you. So the next question we need to ask then is, well, how do we apply this test in our lives? How do, we, how, do we, how do we use this test in our own lives? Well, one commentator on this begins by answering this question by sharing how we should not test ourselves. And these not tests are the tests that we often use. Right? The test is not, do you have doubts? Listen, every Christian who has ever lived has struggled with doubts. Is this really true? Did Jesus really come and do this? There's still darkness in the world. It's hard to see the light sometimes. I doubt that he's coming to do the things he said he has come to do. And also, when we're studying God and the things of Scripture, what are we studying? We're studying the, the, the deepest mysteries of the universe. We aren't in a scientific lab running tests with cool goggles and beakers and stuff. You know, we're, we're, we're wrestling with the divine. The, with mysterious things that you're never going to fully comprehend or unravel. And as we're studying God and, and the things of God, it's going to be confusing at times for us because we're limited. We won't always understand it. We're not always going to know everything. We're never going to know everything, I should say. And we're not alone in this. God's people have always struggled with doubts. Even the Old Testament people who saw the crazy things that you read about in the Old Testament, you think, if I saw that, I would never doubt. Even those people who saw those things had profound doubts. And they wrote the Psalms. And half the Psalter is filled with songs and psalms and hymns of, of doubt. And the Psalms actually show us how to wrestle when we have doubts, to bring your doubts to the creator of all things, to tell him that you have doubts. So doubts should not be the test uh, of how you find out if you have assurance of faith. The other thing, the second thing that should not be a test is, is your sin, of whether or not you still struggle to sin. Right? We've all sinned and fall short. There will be sins that you struggle with until the day that you die, that you're going to carry to the grave with you. To say we don't struggle with sin is to call God a liar. So whether or not you still sin is not the mark of assurance. Because the assumption by John is that you will struggle to sin. Not that it's excused. He also tells you don't sin. Uh, but he knows that you will. And he says we should fight against sin, but we're forgiven. And struggling in our sin is not a mark of lack of assurance of faith. Uh, another way, the third and final way that we should not test ourselves. This is maybe one of our biggest problems. Is we should not test ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. You know, we're all in different places of maturity in our faith in this room. God grabbed each of us in different points in our lives, right? So our, our faith journeys will look a little different. We have different histories and stories. Some of you have lived very difficult lives growing up, not in the church, with maybe struggling families, and, and that's going to affect you depending on when God took hold of your life. Others of you grew up in the church. Maybe your, your, your testimony is that you don't know a day where you didn't believe in, in the gospel. What a profoundly amazing testimony that is. 
but that's going to change uh, your level of maturity. And so that's where we can't compare ourselves uh, against uh, each other. The question isn't, am, am I as mature as that other person? And if I'm not, then maybe I'm not in the kingdom. But the question is, where would you be without Christ and his work in your life? Have you begun to love people more? Have you begun to mature? We will all be in different places in this journey, and this is to be expected, but has the gospel begun to take root in your life? So whether or not we doubt or we struggle with sin or we don't look as mature as others, those are not the tests for us of whether or not we are saved, even though they are often where we test ourselves and when we do, we're always going to fall short and feel bad, but the, the test is simple. Do you believe in Jesus, has he come to save you and wash you from your sins? Do you believe that he alone can save you? That, and, and has that truth begun to impact the way that you, you can't help but love people? You know, maybe when you consider this test and you read this, you reflect honestly, maybe say, you know, I actually struggle to love uh, my brother and sister. Uh, I, I struggle to love my neighbor, which, you know, if that's you, John says this. He says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes, right? To hate means that you're walking in the dark, right? Not knowing where you're going. Your hate blinds you. And what you, so what do you do when you're feeling bitter and hatred towards another brother or sister in this room? Well, you're supposed to go back to chapter one, right? You confess your sins and he is faithful and just to forgive you. Tell Jesus that you have hate in your heart towards others. Talk to him about it. He actually wants to hear from you. Tell them that you're struggling to love, right? So if you can't do chapter two, go back to chapter one, confess your sins. You know, when you walk in the light, it means that these things are gonna get exposed in us. As we continue to mature, there's gonna be more and more nooks and crannies of our lives that get exposed. Often when you struggle with like one sin, when you overcome that one sin, you think, well, now I'm gonna be perfect, right? I overcome that one thing, whew, smooth sailing from here, but it's just the beginning, right? There's always going to be little things to discover. And so walking uh, in the light means that these things are going to get exposed. In, you know, and as the light of Christ exposes, what does it bring? It brings actually comfort and love. It brings healing as it begins to help you kill your sin and give you new eyes to see where you're going, right? To illuminate the pathway before you. Because the inverse of chapter 11 too is, is if uh, you know, hating your brother is walking in darkness, you don't know where you're going. Loving your brother is walking in the light and you can actually see clearly. And this is what the light of Christ does. It brings us to walk clearly, to love those around us. Because at the end of the day, there will be no hate. There will be no stumbling in the darkness. But the light of Christ that is shining now will cover all creation with light one day. Others of you may consider you know, these two different aspects of this test before you say, well, I actually don't know if I believe in Jesus. What should you do? Well, it's the same answer. Tell him. Scripture tells us that faith is a gift from God. Only God can grant you the gift of faith. Tell him when you don't believe and, and ask him for the gift of faith. And you know what, what the beautiful thing about God is? He will give it to you. He loves to, to give gifts to his children. If you ask him for the gift of faith, he will give it to you. And the Christian life is pretty, fairly simple. It's looking at Christ, trusting him, following him, walking in his light as he is in the light. And the question for you is this, is, is Jesus someone that you can trust? then believe him, follow him, and he will transform your life, bringing the, the light of life to bear in you, bringing love for others to bear in you. And you know, the, the reason why love of others is one of the markers of whether or not the gospel has taken root in your life is because we were once the other that was loved by God. 
While we were his enemies, God loved us. And as we follow Christ, as we walk in his light, it makes us like him. Little by little, a lot slower than any of us like to admit. But he, he leads us to love others as he loved us. You know, in, in, you know, in the first and second great awakening in America, which sparked incredible revival in the church, one of the preacher's goals in that time, which was not necessarily a, a bad thing for this moment in history, um, but the preachers in that time, their, their goal was to convince the people in the pews that they weren't Christians so that they actually could accept faith. Because there was so much just craziness happening in the church at the time. That most people coming were not Christians. And so they had to convince them, hey, no, you actually don't believe. Uh, and then once they accepted that, then they could actually come to, to faith. And, uh, and it's, in, in many, it's easy for us to read John through that kind of revival time lens. He kind of goes back and forth and he's a little bit confusing, but this is actually not how John intends us to read him. And and it's not how he intends us to to see this test. And as you you walk through the test, John's purpose is right not to weed out the fake, fake among us, but to encourage and strengthen all those that are here. Rather than strapping you with the burden of things to do, this test is meant to give you assurance. It's actually meant to help you. Because the bar is not, what have you done for me, or what will you do for me, but it's resting in what Christ has already accomplished. John isn't saying this so that that people in the church will doubt and come to the altar, right, to boost uh, conversion numbers, but he is saying this as if to say, this is true of you. This is who you are. You know him. You are maturing in love. You are learning to walk in the light. You already know him if you believe Jesus is the Christ. You don't need anything else. And if someone tells you you need something else, he's going to tell us a little bit, uh, they're the Antichrist. This means that, that, that you can be assured that the Spirit of Christ lives within you. Walk in that truth and ignore the lies of the Antichrist. So he's calling us to have confidence in the faith, to not walk in fear. You are children of God, and this frees you to grow in our maturity, not having to look over your shoulders wondering if I'm still in or not. To grow in our love for each other and even while we are sinned against by each other because we know that Christ loves us even when we sinned against him. And and so this is our foundation to go and to do likewise. And so the call is simple for us. It's to rest in this profound truth. There's freedom in this assurance. You have nothing to earn yourself and, and because of this, you know, one of the, one of the you know, relationships between this passage and the passage before, it's, it's when we think that we have to do all these things to, to be righteous in and of ourselves, what do we do with our sin? Do we tell people when we struggle? Do we, do we tell people when we're having a really hard day? No, we, we cover it up because we have to, because it's the only way forward. But when we tr- actually trust the gospel, that walking in the light as he is in the light is good for us, that, that he actually has saved us, enables us to walk in freedom. Freedom of assurance that you have nothing to earn yourself, that we can rest in the blood of Christ, which John tells us, covers us, making us righteous. And as we rest in it, that blood will transform you. It will transform your loves and your desires so that you desire to walk in the light even as you struggle to walk in the light. It's where you love to be. And it's this truth that animates our love towards others, to to love the unlovable because Christ has loved us when we were unlovable. May we as a church grow in this. May we, may we be a people who rest in the, the comfort of the grace of Christ, who rest in the blessed assurance that comes from our God who holds us and keeps us. And not as a means to have a, a holy huddle among ourselves, but as a means to the foundation to go out and love everyone around us. 
with that same love with which we have been loved. Pray with me. God of all mercy and grace, I ask that you would comfort us, your people, this morning. Comfort us with your grace, with your love. And as we are comforted, may you transform our loves. In the name of Christ we pray, amen.